Hi, everyone, and welcome to another edition of Mind Rolling on the MindPod Network. I'm Raghu Marcus, and today we have George Balaram Pitagorsky. You just heard him shuffling some of his papers around here. And uh, welcome, welcome, and welcome, George. Been Thank you. Nice to be here. Yeah. So uh, I'm I'm gonna hang out with uh, with George. I call him Balaram because that's his spiritual name, and and actually, we knew her. That's how I knew you way back in the day as Balaram, that's right. right? But his professional name is George Pitagorsky, and as George, uh, he writes these. What what are they? Every month. Every month. Yeah. yeah. And I'm right. on. Pretty regular. It's a breakthrough news, newsletter. Right. And um, Balaram's been on the podcast before with David and I. And in this case, uh, there's a, a couple of... I get the newsletter. By the way, if you want to get the newsletter... Well, we're going to tell you where to go to get find him and everything. But uh, I get them, and there was a couple of them that I wanted to just uh, hang out with uh, Balaram and talk about which we are going to do, and they're pretty timely, uh, especially given, because this today, although the podcast is going to come out later than the day we're doing it, today is Martin Luther King Day, which is an important day, and very, very much in line with uh, some of the thoughts that Balaram's had here. Uh, I just want to remind everybody that uh, we are on a continual basis. We're like PBS, NPR. We are supported by our community. And so just going to briefly ask you to remember, I don't have any picks for Amazon, but please do uh, this week. Just maybe a little bit lazy. I should have talked to you about this. I bet you've got some great things in mind. Books that you've read, Balaram, that we recommend. Do you have a book that, that's on your mind? That's I have. Been... Oh. Well, I have books that I've written, but uh, recently I've been writing a book, and uh, therefore it's curtailed my, uh, my reading. Mm. Uh, but uh, actually the most recent thing that I've, uh, I've read is... Uh, a reread of Sokni Rinpoche's uh, Fearless Simplicity. Hmm. Which I don't is know that nice. book. Oh. Yeah, yeah it's his, I think it's his second book. And uh, it's very nice. It's a wonderful explanation of uh, Dzogchen uh, teachings from, uh, you know, from his point of view. Okay, so first of all, Tsokni, let's say, uh, spell Tsokni Rinpoche. T-S-O-K-N-Y-I, Tsokni. Rinpoche, uh, R-I-N-P-O-C-H-E. And the title? And the title is Fearless Simplicity. I love that. Okay, I'm going to get it, and I'm sure you can get it on Amazon. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and, um, okay, wait, wait, we're forgetting something. We're talking about Dzogchen, and we need to give a little bit of a definition. Oh, what is Dzogchen? Yeah. Well, Dzogchen is uh, a non-dual teaching. It's the uh, non-dual teaching that comes out of the Tibetan uh, uh, Buddhist tradition, uh, also from the Bone tradition in in uh, Tibet. And uh, basically, the uh, the underlying premise is that uh, there's a a basic ground that we are all in, 
and uh, unfortunately don't recognize every moment of the, of every day. But that basic ground is this uh, quality of uh, boundless emptiness suffused with clarity. And uh, the book is about uh, that and how to uh, cultivate uh, a growing realization of that uh, of that ground. Okay, there's a mouthful on so. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, understandable mouthful i hope yeah we hope <laughs> but, we hope yeah. uh but, but, uh, but I, that's what it is so yeah but the uh, the title of the book speaks to me so um, yeah yeah uh, it's a, it i mean basically the uh, the notion is that uh, in order to uh, experience this uh, uh this stateless state uh, one uh, needs to uh, be rather fearless and uh, because it uh, requires giving up lots of uh uh, self-identification and uh, more and more just resting in the moment of presence. Well, the, the of course, this is a, a huge subject matter, and uh, Zog Chen and one of the uh, podcasters on MindPod Network is Lama Suryadas, who is uh, very good at elucidating the Zog Chen teachings and uh, getting them so that they can be of some, a little bit of more practical for us on a day-to-day basis. And practical uh, is what we're going to be talking about in terms of what's going on uh, in this country uh, uh, these days. So uh, just to get back to our little uh, commercial here about uh, taking the, uh, getting this book, that we uh, Tsokni Rinpoche's book on Amazon, and... Um, bookmarking. We always encourage you to bookmark so that uh, MindPod Network, Mind Rolling, gets a little piece of it and in that way sustains what we're doing. Your donations are uh, extraordinarily helpful and the recurring ones by every month, even a small amount, that goes a long way if we can get enough people to do that. And we have our store yeah, Balaram, we have a store now with a mindfulness kit. You should look up oh, there really? on MindPod Network, yeah. And uh, it's uh, chock full of items to remind you on a day-to-day basis of the empty nature <laughs> of our being. And by the way, when we talk about emptiness, and I, I have to keep reiterating this, everybody, this is empty of and and the plainest way to say it is empty of that constant self-referential mind from the moment that you wake up about me. It's me. I got to go to the bathroom. I got to get my coffee. Then I'm going to go, oops, I got to go. Oh, what am I going to do today? I got. So it's a constant, is it not? And so really emptiness is once you become empty, of this self-referential and self-interested and self-cherishing life that we lead day to day. Even the incremental realization of that is such a huge improvement. So yeah. that's uh, something to aspire to. Yeah. I like to also think of uh, emptiness in, in terms of fullness, because basically when we can really get in touch with that, uh, that quality that's not constantly uh, referring to self and, and I and me, we are now open to just the, uh, the reality that everything is completely available within this, uh, this emptiness, within this ground of, uh, of clarity and emptiness, so that uh, 
it becomes very full. It's not yeah. like nothing. Yeah, right. It's not nihilistic, which is most exactly. how most people interpret emptiness of the Buddhist uh, that Buddhist concept. And you know, what's left is, is, of course, love, which is more of what uh, what we are inter how we are interconnected. Okay, exactly. we're going to move on. That's the that was a hell of a sponsor uh, pitch or whatever <laughs> <laughs> support pitch. Um, so you've got a couple of articles here that I want to talk about. And this first one is, of course, uh, it's freezing cold today. And you thought, well, the winter solstice brings with it a diminishing of darkness and the return of light. Right? And we're right in the thick of that. It's a season for reflecting on miracles, love, and renewal. Yet, we are facing a wave of fear-based bigotry that will not go away if we close our eyes and imagine everybody's hearts and minds will be filled with goodwill for all. And uh, it's just going on a day-to-day basis with these uh, convent. I mean, as soon as I, I even think of this, I think of, uh, you know, I immediately say as we are in the convention season and, and then we watch these debates or we watch whatever, the news, uh, uh, it's on our feed, our Facebook feed, our Twitter feeds, the Republicans and headed by Trump and Cruz and all of them. And as soon as that happens, it's polarization. Okay, that's the first thing that happens. These ignorant MFs, okay? <laughs> so that happens immediately. Now, what you're talking about here uh, is interesting, right? It's about, uh, and you're talking about, because it, it, it is true, and now, of course, true, it, truth is in the, like beauty is the beholder there, but when these hate mongers spread their mes- message and embellish it with information, it's a very, very, very difficult situation to sit, as you say, sit quietly around this. And especially you know, the, the talking about the need to keep Muslim Syrian refugees out of the country, to protect us from terrorism, it's just fueling tremendous ignorance. And now what you're talking about is confrontation is necessary in the light of this spreading of these messages. It means speaking up and inserting facts and alternative views. How uh, Talk about this and how we think, you think, we need to have a perspective that allows us to be effective without polarizing. Very difficult, no? This is very difficult. And uh, uh, just to give you an idea of how difficult it is, I went to an event today and was speaking to an old friend, someone I have known for like 45 years. Uh, And uh, turns out that this old friend would prefer to vote for a Republican rather than a, uh, a, a one of the Democratic candidates. And I was like flabbergasted. Uh, and starting to talk about the, uh, you know, like the, the, the choice that uh, this person was making brought immediately defensiveness on that person's part, on her part. And uh, the statement was, well, we shouldn't talk about politics because it's too uh, disruptive and it's, you know, it doesn't go anywhere. So I didn't push it basically, but, uh, at some point, unless we really, uh, bring to the surface, the controversy 
And, you know, as you said, the, uh, you know, the perception that what the Republican Party seems to be uh, selling at this point in time is ignorance and hatred and fear uh, that unless we say something about it, unless we really bring out the, uh, you know, the the reality through a questioning and uh, some kind of dialogue that people will be deluded into thinking that uh, that what uh, these people are talking about is rational. Uh, so how do we do that without polarizing? It's not uh, an answer that uh, comes quickly to my brain. It's basically, uh, I think we have to uh, understand that some polarization is necessary. If you have a, a negative pole and uh, a positive pole, the goal is to somehow create a unity, a unified understanding. But in order to do that, there has to be initially some kind of a confrontation. So can we do that confrontation uh, by eliminating the MF uh, concept that you brought up earlier? The anger and the, uh, you know, the, the dismissiveness of, uh, you know, of seeing that what these people are, are about is, uh, is really negative, it's anger, it's you know, all of these things that we choose not to deal with. And what does, they, what, does, what does all of that bring up in us? Anger. Hmm. Yeah, we call them MFs. You know, we call them ignorant assholes and what have you. So uh, can we now use some quality of mindfulness to feel the sense of anger, feel the sense of frustration coming up, sit with that for a moment or two, and see if compassion can be the source of whatever it is that we have to say. Mm. Difficult. Difficult. And I guess we also have to look somehow, and I guess it's really more possible, like you were just with a person today who you were astounded by the fact that they thought that the, the, they would support a Republican, I guess by virtue of your past uh, friendship and so on. And then it's a matter of how do we sit down and say, okay, how are you feeling about this? What are your feelings relative to what is being represented, represented by these particular candidates? And, and, and trying to have some empathy, because we don't have any empathy for, for as you say, the, the, the positive and the negative pole. So in this case, the negative pole. How can we, we can't even begin to try and meet that. Well, I think that we have to be able to somehow put ourselves into that other person's position. What is motivating them to be at that pole? So... In, in the case that I talk about in this article uh, on shedding light, uh, the, uh, the issues seem to come down to fear. You know, it was uh, not articulated by the other person. I'm afraid of Muslims, but uh, the anger and the, uh, the desire to, uh, you know, to do something was coming from fear. And uh, I think a lot of the, uh, the current, um, you know, the current rap from coming from the Republican Party in particular, is, uh, is fear-based. We're afraid that the economy is not going to be good. We're afraid that the, uh, you know, the terrorists are going to come into our uh, neighborhoods and schools and so forth. Uh, so the empathy comes now 
from understanding and feeling the quality of fear that the other person might be uh, experiencing. Mm. Then can we uh, use that uh, entree as a means for getting them to reflect a little bit on, on their fear? To reflect, you know, okay, we're afraid. We don't want, you know, who wants terrorists to blow up our house or whatever? Uh, can we now think of different options that might be appropriate to, or to deal with the fear? You know, not all fear is irrational. So what are the options that we have? You know, will uh, not allowing any Muslims into the country actually work? Will it do anything? You know, it's, you know how will it affect the, you know, how many million, I don't know, how many uh, Muslims are currently in the country? It's not going to affect them in any way, shape or form. Where, you know, now it's our, how do we use that notion of, okay, you've got a fear, it's a rational fear. What can we do in order to, uh, alleviate that fear if it's possible to do anything. Mm -hmm. And then if we do something, will it have a negative effect? You know, what impact will it have? You know, you, you start discriminating against people because of their religion, it's probably not going to make them your friend. Going to cause them to, you know, to be more and more alienated and then maybe move into a, uh, you know, into a more reactive kind of mode. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Increase the polarization on all yeah. sides. I think to even, uh, I want to go back one step with all of this, and this is our main three theme here, has been on mind rolling, is what do you do with your own heart to be able to even sit down and say to somebody honestly uh, on the quote-unquote the other side of whatever it is, honestly say, what is hurting you mm -hmm. what are you feeling that is causing you to react in this way and this of course this is one of the best uh, examples here because we're talking about a country that was designed about allowing immigrants to come in and be part of this melting pot and here was your opportunity come and you know statue of liberty mm -hmm. and now we're we're talking about completely going opposite of that concept. So how do we actually get our hearts in a place where we can honestly, and honest, honesty is, is a good word, is the byword here, because you can just say this bullshit and don't mean a word of it. How do we honestly open ourselves to be able to hear somebody else. And, and geez, you've done a lot of conflict resolution stuff in your life. I know it, mm -hmm. uh, especially in, in the business world. But it seems to me that that's the first, nothing can happen unless that happens first inside each one of us. Exactly. Yeah. And, you know, so it starts with the ability to, you know, to really come in touch with our own heart, our own feelings, have some kind of empathy, some kind of a connection with the other party, feel what they're feeling, and not expect them to actually uh, work in that same way. Right. You know, to understand that they might not be ready to open their heart and to, uh, you know, to come into communion with, uh, with other people. They're so caught up in that I thought that, uh, that nothing outside of that is going to make any difference at all. And I think we look to our teachers, our leaders, 
for help in this area. And today con- commemorates a man who we need n- look no further to, Absolutely. Dr. Martin Luther King. And uh, he would be our absolute, the epitome of following and opening up a heart. And uh, his whole conceptual evolution uh, to a place where he, uh, you, you see, you, you listen to his speeches, you see those, the, the archival footage of him, and you read everything about him he actually accomplished this. Yeah, he, yeah. he was not hateful in his heart, even when people were getting uh, severely beaten and killed. Exactly. So, uh, I, I, you know, I wish we could find a way to take... We're celebrating him today, right? But how do we find a way to reintroduce him to not just the Republicans, to all of us, to, to give us some s- sense of how to put one foot in front of the other with what's going on. Well, I think, you know, we start by recognizing him as, a, uh, as an ideal, you know, as a, uh, a really a paradigm. And uh, the wonderful fact of having actually a, a day set aside for that kind of, um, uh, of remembrance of not only his birthday, but what he really st- stands for, is a wonderful starting point. Because now we have the opportunity to, you know, turn on the television and at least uh, for a moment get a sense of uh, what Martin Luther King was uh, talking about, you know, and how he actually was capable of doing exactly what we're saying, which is open your heart to people who you pretty much know in, you know, in, in the short term is not going to, they're not going to change their mind. They're going to still be hating, you know. Maybe over thirty years or forty years, they'll they'll start to soften in some way. But uh, he was able to just recognize that they're where they're at, and all we can do is open our heart to them, love them for who they are, and at the same time, not just lay back and right. accept the fact that uh, what they're going to do is you know walk all over us. You know, we don't want that either. Yeah, and use what you say here, which is, you know, necessary confrontation. Exactly. It should be a, uh, you could coin something here, heartful confrontation. Heartful confrontation, I love it. Yeah, <laughs> you can have it. Uh, and and I love what you say. So, I mean, I wish there was somebody who put together a, a program uh, that could go on, you know, on primetime network tonight that brings him into this kind of a conversation with people who have tremendous influence. You know, I mean, we're, you and I are sitting here on Mind Rolling Mind Pod Network, and we're with our friends that are listening and our community and, and making these, addressing these issues and making these uh, presumptions of possibilities. And, uh, uh, I wish it, it could get into the hands of, of, of uh, people who have obviously w- you know, much wider recognition and acceptability. Yeah, we're kind of preaching to the choir, so to speak. And uh, the, uh, wouldn't it be wonderful if uh, one of the presidential debates actually addressed this particular issue? Yeah, yeah. That would be nice. Yeah, yeah, that would be great. 
And I love what you say. I'm reminded by history that the fearful fall prey to the promise of security and simplistic certainty. They give away their freedom and common decency. In the end, everyone suffers. Yeah. And this is, you know, we've seen this so many times in history, you know, from the like the dark ages all through, you know, all throughout modern histories. People are just wanting somebody to help them and to save them from, you know, the unknown, from the uncertainty of uh, mm. you know, whatever is going to happen to them. And they're just willing to to uh, to give it all up. Uh, Nazi Germany is you know, like a, a perfect example yeah. of that. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, hopefully we're in a state, you know, kind of, and, you know, I'm uh, generally optimistic, but my optimism is uh, tempered by the uh, the fact that uh, there's more and more ignorance, it seems, floating around uh, than I've ever remembered in my life. Uh, it's, you know, it's just become endemic. So uh, what we have to do is be even more confrontative mm. in that heartfelt, loving way, and uh, you know, like really bring out the sense of how important it is to be uh, open-minded and not driven by fear. Yeah. And what you say, I'm reminded that historically progressive thinking and right action has triumphed, though the struggle has often been long and hard. And and what about Reverend King back here? I mean, how yeah. long he struggled, and beyond his lifetime, how long it took. And, and look still. what we, well but the and fact still. is we have a an african american president i mean even though there's tremendous racism all that stuff with our police officers in different cities targeting young black men and so on and so forth is endemic at the same time there has been the struggle has been long and hard but there has been some results and and i guess all we can do is keep a positive yeah. attitude yeah, I think that, uh, that the results have been very positive, but the struggle is not over. Wait not until, over. Until, what is it? Uh, Bob Marley has a, uh, a wonderful song, War. Yeah. Uh, until the color of a man's skin is makes as little difference as the color of his eyes, there's war. Yeah, right. You know. Okay, now we're going to move on to something else which is another article. So this first we start with something very universal and very topical, what's going on in the world, it's going on in this country in particular. And uh, we're, we're going to move uh, to something about, because we're talking about changing our hearts. If we change our hearts, we can change, we have a chance, an opportunity to change somebody else's hearts, heart. And uh, live with a peaceful heart, Rindas Ramdas. When you have a, when you live in a, with a peaceful heart, you'll live in a peaceful world, um, and that really means what we're talking about, which is only with that kind of peaceful heart do you have any chance at, at, at effecting change. Because if you're angry and you're polarized, you have no chance at all. And and I'm I fight that. This is how I started the thing out with my just looking at the convention and the people and the news and, it, you know, it's the MFs of this world and I get completely caught. Um, so now um, you have this one, this this quote, by the way, which is, uh, I didn't know, you have it a little different than I've known about it. Don't worry, be happy, Mayor Baba, right? Mm -hmm. Now, this is the first thing that woke me up when I was a teenager, 
and I was looking to, and how do I get out of this suffering? What is this world about? What is this life about? You know, all of those questions. But you have, do your best. Then, don't worry, be happy. Where did you get that? I got that, of all places, on the internet. Uh, <laughs> is it true, though? It's on the internet. Well, I didn't do a huge amount of fact-checking, but the it turns out that that quote came in a uh, dialogue that the uh, uh, that Mayababa was having with a, a student of his, who was uh, basically worried about the fact that he wasn't meditating well enough, or he wasn't, uh, you know, uh, achieving what he wanted to do. And Mayababa said to him, "Just do your best, and then don't worry, be happy." <laughs> Love <Mayababa. laughs> So even if he didn't say it, it's still a good thing. Yeah. By the way, look up, uh, folks, look up Mayor, Mayor Baba, and he has uh, a series of wonderful books. Um, Jesus, I can't remember the name of them right now. Do you? The, I don't remember the name of them. Just go go to Amazon, folks. Look up Mayor Baba. That's another thing you can do is get some Mayor Baba books. Uh, they are just uh, incredible treatises on the spiritual path. Yeah, yeah, he's wonderful. And wonderful. he was the first thing I saw. I saw a picture of him smiling, and you have that on uh, in your newsletter. And don't worry, be happy. And then I'm, oh, God, I don't know. It just hit me. Okay, I'm there, <laughs> you know? And so yeah. I think... I like the first part of that, the, you know, the do your best yeah, part do of your it. Best, because it yes. brings out the notion that this is not just about, you know, lay back and, you know, get stoned and be happy. It's... <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> then don't worry. It's like you got to... Do something as well. Yeah. And then you quoted this article in the Times. Uh, worry was reported to be beneficial. Those who, who worried about an outcome tended to have a less stressful reaction when the worrisome outcome occurred and a greater positive response when things worked out well. Okay, right. well, this is a little turn as far as I'm concerned in terms of worry. I'm a worrier. I have been a worrier. And I cannot say that it has been beneficial to me. You better explain that one. Well, I, I use that as a uh, as a starting point because basically this is you know like some kind of uh, psychological study that was done that found that uh, people were less stressed when they uh, when they were worried about something, but not during the worrying part. They were less stressed after the fact <laughs> and more happy about you know about the fact that the, what they were worrying about didn't come to pass. Uh, but I think that uh, if one has a sense of uh, what negative possibilities could happen, and one doesn't dwell on it, then there's the possibility of, uh, you know, okay, here's something that, that could happen. It's, I don't want this to happen, but it could happen. Can I do anything about it? And I go on to, you know, to talk about that later on in this, in this uh, article that says that if we use the content of our worry skillfully by analyzing the risk of it occurring and uh, seeing what we can do to avoid it and so forth, mm. then that cuts the, uh, you know, the stress aspect of, of the worrying. But as uh, I think we'll see when uh, we uh, perhaps listen to some talk about uh, what Joseph Goldstein has to say about, uh, about this, if we persist if there's a persistency, a uh, an obsessive quality to it, worrying and worrying and worrying, then we're kind of uh, uh, creating stress in ourselves. 
the the next paragraph in this article is interesting because it's the other side of the coin. It's basically um, Rudolf Abel, who's a character, who's actually a live character. He was a spy uh, that was arrested in the United States. And the movie, The Bridge of Spies, is about him. So two times in the, uh, in the movie, one time he's going on trial and his lawyer, uh, played by Tom Hanks, it says to him, you know, you could be sentenced to death. Aren't you worried? And he says, would it help? Yeah, I love that <laughs> in the movie. That is probably even more than maybe twice or three times he says that. But the way he says that, whoever that actor was, it was like, right, right. <laughs> so great. Yeah, it's great. So, you know, so then, you know, would it help? Yeah, maybe it would help in some cases, but not usually. Yeah. Um, yeah, and you do say here worrying can be harmful to your health and well-being. I mean, because it it can be an addiction and an obsession. Exactly. That people use it uh, as a fulcrum for life, and it. Uh, my mother used to do it all the time, and and she used to say, well. It's it's a way. If I do it, then I, you know, then the bad shit won't be happening. You know, it'll be like <laughs> it's like a talisman to ward off. Right. Go really? Are you crazy? And you so gave this to me. Mom. That same school of thought thinks that if you say something good is going to happen, it gives you a uh, kanahara. Yeah, it'll be just great. It's right. a good luck. <laughs> yeah. Um, but uh, you do go on here about waking up. So talk about worry can wake you up to see the risk and uncertainties that are ahead so you can have the opportunity to chart the most effective course to accomplishing your goals and objectives. So talk about that a little bit because that is, uh, it's, it's something different uh, in terms of the quote-unquote spiritual teachings and spiritual path to, to talk about worry in that way. Right, so... So when we worry, we're actually experiencing a, a feeling. So the, our feelings, our emotions, are uh, uh, they energize us. They wake us up. Uh, that feeling is based on some set of thoughts that we have that are uh, uh, coming up. We see the future. We see the, the past. We you know generally based on the past. We see that something terrible might happen in the future. And all of a sudden, we now have an opportunity to either get lost in the, in the thinking and the worrying and just obsess about it, or by waking up to the fact that something could possibly happen, we now go into an analytical process. An analytical in, I'm a, a project and program management expert in my spare time. Yeah. So in, in that realm, they, there is this notion of risk management. So what is risk management? It's seeing, oh, here's something to worry about. We call it a risk. It could happen. What's the probability of it happening? If it does happen, what's the impact that it might have? Now, if the probability is really high and the impact is really high, I'm going to spend some time trying to figure out what I might be able to do to avoid that risk or to at least reduce the, uh, the impact that it might have if it occurs. Yeah? So once we do that, there's the possibility now of we're not worrying anymore. What we've do, done is transformed that feeling from a worrisome, anxiety-based uh, kind of feeling to bring it up into the intellect, fuel our clarity, 
And now we've transmuted worry into planning and into uh, something that is going to positively help us into the future. Mm. That is. Now, so... Go ahead. I was just going to say that we might find that the probability of what we're worrying about is like really, really low. That in and of itself will tell us, you know, like, why would I be worrying about it? Will it help? <laughs> uh, what, what's the purpose? Right, right. Um, by the way, everybody out there, I mean, this the possibility is m- me engaging with this very uh, proper analysis, uh, as Balaram is elucidating here, is zero. Okay, because I'm I'm one of those worriers that I'm getting into it for the emotional hit. Okay, I can tell I'm getting into it that way. Uh, and, and analyzing it is uh, probably out of my realm. But I want you to know that I know this man for a long time, and he executes what he's talking about, okay? Because he absolutely has a, uh, an, a, an, an accomplishment relative to equanimity, that would allow him, he's grimacing, by the way, a little bit, uh, that would allow him to be able to do the kind of analyzation and be able to drop the worry once that analyzation has occurred, okay? So so we're two different characters, he and I, and uh, I'm, all, all of this is to say that although this may not be part of the possibilities for my uh, character personality incarnation, there are many people like Balaram, and you all can take advantage of that that analyzation. That's all I'm saying. But now, here's an interesting possibility that those of us who do dwell in some, uh, you know, in the non-analytical realm, uh, can we bring in a sufficient amount of analysis to counteract the normal habitual uh, process of in this case, uh, obsessing about the worry, mm. you know, is, is it, do we have to live with the character that we're born with, or do we have the possibility of, uh, addressing it in some way, yeah. bringing remedies into, uh, into play? Right. And here's a good time because, uh, I was uh, sharing this with, uh, Balaram earlier, uh, on a podcast. I I've done a, a few of them with Joseph Goldstein at, uh, wonderful Vipassana insight meditation teacher. And he had this little thing that I excerpt. It's going to be part, by the way, this is a little bit of a preview, Balaram, uh, for a uh, an online retreat that's going to be part of the Heart Mind app that MindPod Network is producing. And this is a preview. And so I'm going to uh, play this for everybody, and uh, we can comment on it uh, afterwards. This is Joseph Goldstein on Worry. So with worry, this ties very much into what we were just talking about in terms of being mindful of thoughts, because usually worry is prompted, the the feeling of worry, you know, is prompted by different thoughts that we're having, you know, and and mostly it's thoughts about future, but maybe it's involved with thoughts of past or or even present. Uh, So first, I think it's to recognize the particular um, the particular thought patterns 
that are arising with respect or, or which give rise to the feeling of worry. So actually somebody uh, on, a, on a retreat some time ago, and this was in a book. And maybe, have you seen the book 10% Happier? It's, then, it's a book. Dan Harris. Yeah, uh, right. Yeah. I was going to, and, and I know I was going to mention that to you because there's an app uh, yeah, there is. that we Joseph just, uh, yeah. participated in. So, so he, he asked this question and he tells this story in the book. He said, well, isn't, isn't it helpful? You know, I'm, you know, at the end of the retreat, I'm going to be going to the airport and what happens if I miss my plane and isn't, just something I should be worried about, you know. Because he was the, the book is quite quite delightful because he comes to the practice as a total skeptic, you know, and, and his description of the retreat is very funny as well. Uh, and but he raised a good point: aren't there things in our life that we should be worried about? And I think it's because we have the sense that there is a place for it that we use that as a um, rationalization for being swamped by it. Well, I should be worried about this is a worrisome situation. But as I pointed out, you know, when he asked that question, I said, yes, this is something, you know, you should be concerned about. And you plan for it. But how many times do you have to plan for it? Once, twice, three times. The 17th time, you're thinking about missing the plane. It's clearly not helpful. It's not serving anything. So one of the one of the uh, antidotes when we're caught up in worried thoughts, and especially if they're a pattern, you know, if we're if they're very re- repetitious, and we're not learning anything in terms of how we should address the situation, we're just caught in that cycle we could ask ourselves with these kind of thoughts, is this useful? Just, just that simple question, is this thought useful? And very often that's enough to unhook us from the identification with the pattern because we see, yes, it may have been useful the first time or second time or 10th time, but it's not endlessly useful, right? And so it just takes us again, it gives us another perspective on the content so that at that point we can more easily drop into the awareness, oh, this is just a thought, and tune into the empty nature of thought. Right? That, that it really, as a phenomenon, is very insubstantial because we see in that moment that the content is no longer serving us. So I think that kind of uh, mindfulness of that particular pattern uh, is very helpful in terms of freeing us from simply being uh, lost in that conditioning. And some people live their whole lives in a state of worry. So there you go. Uh, that is uh, Joseph, who is so wise and so insightful. That's why he's an insight teacher. What what do you th- what do you think about what he's? Uh... Well, I think it, uh, it's it's very much in keeping with uh, with my own experience with this, and mm. the uh, you know the idea. Uh, for one, I don't know if Joseph mentioned it specifically, the, but the uh, the idea that in, in the uh, the world of insight meditation, the uh, the Buddha 
talks about uh, hindrances, things that keep us from being calm, keep us from being concentrated and so forth. One of them is worry, restlessness and, and worry. Hmm. So restlessness of mind, lots of thoughts coming up, and generally some, many of those thoughts are, are worrisome, so we get caught up in the worry. So uh, we don't necessarily look at those hindrances as being bad. We look at them as uh, kind of wake-up calls. So if I can now recognize that, ah, there's worry. No longer am I totally identified with that worry. I have now the possibility of distancing it from myself. It's not owning me. I'm not owning it. It's just there. It's a phenomena that's arising. And the more I see it in that way, the less impact it has. Then the worrying starts to pass away. It's usually replaced by some other kind of crazy thought or <laughs> uh, you know, tiredness or you know wanting to have this or wanting not wanting to have that and all of that stuff. But uh, at each time any of those hindrances come up, we have the possibility now of seeing them for what they are. It's just stuff coming up, it's just phenomena. Yeah. Now, rest in the state of, uh, quote, emptiness. Yeah. Oh, back to emptiness. Back to emptiness and clarity. <laughs> <laughs> I will say, though, in terms of practical, I mean, for me, who has been a worrier, um, what did our, uh, for most, I got it, I keep saying my mother, my poor mother, I'm blaming her for this, but it seems to me we were so close in that way. Um, but I'll say to everybody, uh, and I've said this before, but when people say, look, you've been doing this for decades, what the hell have you gotten out of it? Well, when that worry comes, I just, there, there's room around it. There's spaciousness. I am not jumping into it the way that I used to jump into it. Uh, there's a, as Trungpa Rinpoche would talk about, a sense of humor and a sense of spaciousness around mm -hmm. it, around it. So, uh, I, I still, I'm quite aware of my incarnational shortcoming, shall we say? Right. <laughs> but I am not jumping into it the way that I used to and where, the, where it would overtake my life. And I think that that kind of leverage really does come through mindfulness practice, through whatever the hell your practice may be, as long as you're doing it on a day-to-day -day basis and you have the intention that you know, as you just said, this is worry. This is not who I am. Identifying with that thought is not who I am. And in and, and, and so doing, there is some leverage to allow spaciousness to happen where you're just not as caught. And you get less and less caught as, uh, as time goes on. So definitively, yes. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, th there was something uh, else that... Um, I just wanted to mention it's something else that I saw. Do you, is there anything more, more around this that we are? Um, no, I think I, I think, think we've covered worry. Yeah, I we've think covered we've covered it. worry. Yeah. Okay, yeah. Thanks for the, those are two great uh, blogs articles. Uh, I'm quite happy to receive. Uh, by the way, okay, tell everybody how do you receive your monthly newsletter? I want that. To get my monthly newsletter. Go to my website, which is uh, uh, 
pitagorskyconsulting.com. And uh, on that website, you'll see a, uh, a button to click for uh, news, the newsletters, the breakthrough newsletter. Uh, if you can't remember the, uh, you know, the name of... Oh, no, we're uh, going to have it on the website. Oh, okay, great. Yeah. So uh, you can also just Google uh, or Bing, whatever it is your proclivity is for, uh, for Googling, uh, is uh, Breakthrough Newsletter. And uh, Pitagorsky is the uh, uh, publisher, author, and uh, chief cook and bottle washer. <laughs> Bing? What is Bing? I don't even know. Oh, Bing, Bing is the uh, uh, Microsoft equivalent to Google. Oh. Not quite as nice. Yeah. I'm, you know, what, maybe one um, hundredth of one percent of everybody who yeah, yeah, exactly. Googles? Yeah. So uh, yeah. Google is the Jello of uh, Jello yeah. industries. Yeah, no, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, this is great, very great, and I'm happy to uh, to hang with you, Balaram. Yes, and, it's been. Uh, we we should make this a uh, a regular practice uh, as you keep coming up with these uh, these wonderful blogs, and uh, I encourage everybody to to sign up there and get them because they are very very helpful uh, on a day-to-day basis. And we look to uh, share some more with uh, Balaram also is a meditation teacher. We haven't talked about that. Um, no. Where can people, if you're in New York, guys, I mean, many people say to me, okay, well, wh- you know, how do I actually access somebody who can help me just with day-to-day practice? I mean, this is a, a monumental thing for everybody is to just learn some of the most direct and sim- simple methodology to do what we're saying at the very beginning of this podcast when we talk about the polarization, what's going on in this uh, in, in our country. Uh, and we say, change your heart and change the world. Very simplistic, but what we really mean is practice is necessary. There's no, I mean, we're talking about this with worry. You have to use mindfulness, but the basic, basic stuff is learning a meditation practice. And of course, we are going to supply some of this stuff for uh, on uh, the Heart Mind app that we're producing. But talk about uh, your programs in New York a little bit so everybody who's in the New York area has a chance. Sure. So at New York Insight Meditation Center, nyimc.org is where I do uh, most of my teaching. And uh, just to give you an example of the kind of programs there, I'll be starting a program January 24th with an all-day retreat that's open to everyone. And it's the first part of a a course called Conscious Living, Conscious Working, a course that I developed with a a good friend of mine, uh, Michael Dana. And uh, now I'll be teaching it uh, with Uh, another uh, teacher, but uh, basically the course and the all-day event is really about how to integrate mindfulness meditation, skillful living, and a wisdom view into your daily life, Mm. whether at work or play. Mm. And uh, by doing it over a course of uh, five months, people really get an opportunity to experience what it means to uh, bring mindfulness into their lives. And as such, to uh, uh, now have an opportunity to think and act in a different way. Right. Perfect. Yeah. Let me also say that uh, I do coaching, 
and uh, I can do that via Skype or phone or uh, you know or physically. But I do live in Manhattan, and uh, if you're in this area, uh, check out New York Insight, and uh, uh, there are many many different opportunities for beginners courses as well as uh, more advanced uh, courses. And our idea is to work with uh, Balaram, George Pitagorsky, on him. He's going to record and has done so. Um, and we will uh, work something out where we make these courses available that he's doing through a MindPod network and the HeartMind app. So that's something to look forward to as well. Well, thank you, thank you, thank you, Balaram. This has been wonderful and very useful given this very special day of Martin Luther King and what he represents. And uh, hopefully we can all find a way to hear him in a deeper and deeper way. Not just those of us that are uh, not in the choir, those of us that are in the choir need to hear that in a deeper way, I believe, because nothing's going to happen until we do. So that's my last word on it, and this is Mind Rolling, and Balaram, see you next time. See you next time. Thank you. Go to mindpodnetwork.com, and we'll see you next week. <laughs> <laughs>